Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here today. And um, before I uh, jump into what I want to teach about today, let me just uh, say a couple things. Um, number one, uh, we do start this new series next Sunday, December 5th, and um, called Simple Christmas. And I just want to encourage you, it's a great opportunity for you to invite your uh, friends and neighbors and uh, teammates and other students to come and uh, join us. People tend to be a little more open to an invitation around Christmas than a lot of other times during the year. So I uh, encourage you to use this opportunity. Uh, it will be very guest-friendly kind of series. So I encourage you to invite people, bring them with you uh, next week as we kind of start to peel back some of the layers of what Christmas uh, is all about. Second thing I want to ask your help in, and uh, uh, next Sunday um, I want to ask you to try to be here like early for you guys, and uh, be in here and be ready to go for two reasons. Number one, uh, we're having baby day next week, and uh, you want to be here at the very beginning to uh, see all the precious babies. Uh, secondly, um, we are going to do something to kind of kick off this whole series next week that uh, is sort of a, a symbol of what the series is about and what Christmas is all about, and uh, I just think it's going to be a really, really powerful moment. And uh, it really kind of sets the tone for everything we're going to do as we worship and uh, teach through this whole series. And I don't want you to miss it. Because um, honestly, some of you, you know, come a few minutes late a lot of weeks. And by the time you usually wander in here, it will all be over. And then there will be this thing that we keep talking about through the whole series. And you'll keep going, what was that? I, I have no idea what they're talking about. So I just want to encourage you to be here, be in your seats, be ready to go next week uh, so that you can uh, have the full experience of what we're going to do together. It, it will be a, a cool moment. I, I want to uh, tell you about Grace Groner. Uh, Grace um, died in March of this year. She lived in the Chicago area. When uh, here, Here's the important part about her. When she died, she gave $7 million to Lake Forest College. Now, here's the interesting part about Grace. In addition to giving that $7 million, she was a single lady her whole life, never had any children. She uh, shopped at thrift stores. She was incredibly frugal. Um, she lived in a very simple house. She probably could have owned any house in Lake Forest, but she lived in a very simple house. She hung on to her money, and then as she passed away, she gave it all away to other people. Maybe you've heard the story about Albert and Violet Large. Albert, or Alan, I'm sorry, Alan and Violet Large. They won the lottery in Canada in July. They won just over $11 million. At the time that they won it, Violet was undergoing chemotherapy, and they took some of the money, a little bit of the money, and they helped pay off some outstanding medical bills. They put a little bit aside for some personal savings. But because they didn't want money to ruin or control their lives, they gave the overwhelming majority of that $11 million away to charities and churches and organizations and schools so they could bless others. Eleven, Nearly $11 million, they just gave it away. And I think when we hear stories like that, we're, we're drawn to it, aren't we? We're drawn to stories about people that give because there is something in us that wants to be that person. It's part of the me that we want to be. It's part of the me that we were created to be. We have a desire to give. Last week, Jesus introduced us to a rich young man who was searching for something that was missing in his life. Now, he was looking on the outside for what was missing on the inside, but he was searching to try to fill the hole in his life. And as he was searching for what was missing, he never actually found it. You see, he was going through the, the motions of, of following God, but in reality, he had another God, a, a little God. His God was money. 
And money was controlling his life. And sometimes we allow money to control our lives. And money keeps us from becoming the me that I want to be. Now that's what we talked about, several misconceptions that many of us often have about money. And these, these misconceptions are what allow money to control our lives. We uh, said, first of all, we have this misconception that it's all my stuff. And the reality is it's not my stuff. It's God's stuff. It was His in the beginning. It'll be His in the end. He just loans it to us for the time that we're here on earth. Secondly, we said we have this misconception that it's my source of security. But the reality is God says, I'm your source of security, not your stuff. It can be gone like that. Uh, We said that we have this misconception that more makes me happier. But that's not true. Oftentimes, the more I have, it's just the more I have to worry about. More does not equal happiness. And number four, we said we we have this misconception that it's mine to keep forever. But the reality is that when we die, we leave it all behind. We don't get to take any of it with us. So, So what's the answer to getting money out of control in our lives? Well, we said the answer is to give it away. Now, the Bible never teaches that we have to give it all away. But the Bible does show us a pattern of giving that allows us to make sure that we control our money instead of allowing money to control us. And I want to look at that pattern this morning for a little bit. If you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, why don't you open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Uh, it's after Acts and Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then Galatians. And so find your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me give you just a little bit of background. And then we'll dive into what Paul uh, writes here. This letter is written by Paul, who was a leader in the ancient church. And he writes it to a group of Christ followers like us at a church in the city of Corinth. And if you read about them, you discover that they, uh, money really wasn't an issue for them. They were fairly well off for their day and age. In fact, that was probably part of the issue. They maybe were allowing money to sort of control their lives. They were a fairly talented group. They loved God. They were trying to follow Him. But as you'll discover here, they had an issue with giving. Paul says you're not generous givers. You don't excel in giving. And so he challenges them about this whole concept of giving. So here we go. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. Let's start with verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So not to be confused here, he's writing to the people in Corinth, but he writes to them about another group of believers who live in the city of Macedonia. And he says these people in Macedonia, they're an example for you. Verse 2, out of the most severe trial, that's the people in Macedonia, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So Paul uses the Macedonian Christians as an example for the Corinthian Christ followers. And he says, here's what I want you to know about these Macedonian Christ followers. They were generous givers. Now, that alone is impressive, but it doesn't mean a whole lot until you understand the circumstances out of which they demonstrated this generosity. You see, they, Paul says they were living in extreme poverty. It's a picture of, of destitute poverty. Uh, the word actually is the, the idea of a beggar that has absolutely nothing and has no hope of ever getting anything. We would say today they're dirt poor or they're kind of third world country kind of poor. They had extreme poverty. 
Uh, a lot of commentators uh, who have uh, written about their circumstances think that historically their life situation may have been due in part to the fact that they were Christ followers. And because they were following Christ in their city, they had lost the opportunity for jobs and they had been forced out of the trade guilds because they refused to bow to the idols of the city of Corinth and so people just wouldn't do business with them. And so I'm sure for these people there was this sense in which life was, was difficult. Life was sort of crushing them. And it was getting harder and harder to deal with life. And for a lot of us, there is this sense even now that life is, is difficult and, and life just keeps squeezing harder and harder on us. But out of their very impossible situation, these Macedonian Christ followers did the impossible. They gave generously. They gave to their ability, Paul says, and then even beyond their ability. They were generous givers. And that generosity helped to keep for them money out of control and allowed God to stay in control. Now, I was reading this week about the church in Romania a number of years ago when the government still held very tight control there. And I was reading at the time that there was, a law had been written in the land that no one was allowed to give more than 2.5% of their income. But the Christ followers in Romania had been reading God's Word and understood that God's kind of baseline for giving, His beginning point was 10%. And so they actually, rather than just accepting what the government said, they began to look for loopholes and they began to, to try to change the law so that they would be allowed to give more and honor God in that way. And Paul sort of says here that, that would have been true of these Macedonian Christ followers. They pleaded, he says, for the opportunity to be able to give more. Now, I've been in ministry for almost 25 years, and you know what's never happened to me? I've never had people come at the end of our worship time and say, could we take another offering? We want to give more. You know, We're pleading with you for the opportunity to give more. That's never happened to me. But Paul says these Macedonians, that was their attitude. They were pleading for the opportunity to give more and more back to God. Now that's incredible generosity, isn't it? Could that kind of generosity happen in us? It could. It could. If we would determine to put God first in our lives and not to allow money to control us. Now what would that kind of generosity look like for us today? What would be the, the standard for that kind of generosity? Well, let me take a minute and let's trace back through the Bible and look at, at the example that we see in the Bible of what generosity looked like and what the pattern of giving was that God laid out for His followers. If you go back to the Old Testament and begin to study the follower of God, followers of God, the Jews there, and you read in Leviticus chapter 27, you will discover that they were asked to give a, a Levitical tithe or the Lord's tithe. Uh, that tithe was 10% of their income that went to help support the priest and to care for the temple. If you continue reading in the Old Testament, you find in addition to the Levitical tithe, there is another tithe called the festival tithe, another 10% of their income that they were to give. If you read a little further, you find even a third tithe that's talked about. It's the poor tithe that was to be given at the end of every three years, 10% to go and help people who were in poverty. Now, if you add all of that together, the, the, the average 
follower of God, the average Jew, would have been giving a mandatory tithe back to God of about 23% of their income. And you're thinking, boy, I'm glad that's in the Old Testament. And it is in the Old Testament, but did did the standard change? Well, in the New Testament, we find that Jesus affirms the idea of at least a single tithe, giving 10% of our income. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is having a discussion one day with some religious leaders about their giving, and Jesus says this. He says, how terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, he calls them. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income. But you ignore the more important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And Jesus says, you're tithing, but you're ignoring some important matters of the heart. And then Jesus says this, you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. And so Jesus affirms the principle of the tithe. He says, yes, you should Give generously to God like that. But you also need to pay attention to some matters of your heart. Matters of attitude towards other people. Matters of attitude about your faith. Now some will have debated that, well, that's fine, Jeff, that Jesus affirms that. But I've heard people say, well, if you read, though, about the early church in the books of Acts and Romans and on through the rest of the New Testament, you never find the mention of a tithe. So did the principle change somewhere from what Jesus affirmed? I don't think so. I think that the people that these letters were written to, that the principle of the tithe was so ingrained in them as the starting point for giving, as as the floor for giving, not the ceiling, but the beginning place, the floor of giving, that when these letters were written, everyone who received them would just have assumed that no one would think about giving anything less than a tithe. Because after all, these periods had, people had experienced the grace of Jesus in their lives. You know what? Think about this. Whenever you read in the New Testament where Jesus is discussing principles of the Old Testament, He never lowers the spiritual bar, does He? Every time you hear Jesus talking about principles that were taught in the Old Testament, Jesus raises the spiritual bar. So when it comes to a pattern of generosity, the pattern seems to be that the beginning place would be to give a tithe of our income and to grow from there in generous giving towards God. Now, when we begin to give like this, Paul says there are some things that happen in our lives that I want us to look at for just a minute this morning. Here's what he says first in verse 5. He talks about the fact that when we give generously like the pattern of the Bible, it helps us to put God first. He says this, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. He says they, they did something that wasn't expected and maybe isn't often expected when we look at each other's lives. They put God first above everything. And I think that's what giving helps us to do. It helps us to keep God in first place in our lives. Since Peg and I have been married for just over 20 years now, even from the very time we were married, it was never a question for us about whether or not we would tithe and give generously to God. 
because both of us had already experienced in our lives and have continued to experience during the time that we've been married that as we have given generously to God, He has blessed us abundantly. And so we've been working over the years to try to, to grow our giving to God beyond just that beginning point of a tithe, to keep growing it. In fact, our, our, our goal for sometime in the foreseeable future, and we don't know when we'll get there, our goal at our house would be to try to get to where we're giving 20% of our income back to God. Because, why would we do that? Because we understand that giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. We give like that because we understand that by giving, it reminds us constantly that God is the one we're trusting to supply our needs. We give like that because it is a reminder to us that we want God to be first place in our lives, in our marriage, in our home. And it begins with allowing Him to be first place in our finances. There's a second lesson that I think Paul points out here. It starts in verse 6. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He, he says the act of giving is an act of grace. Then skip to verse 8. We're going to come back to verse 7 in a moment. Paul says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul says, I want to see just how sincere your love is for God. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. I think Paul says here that giving helps to remind us of grace. Giving keeps us grace-focused. You see, I have experienced the amazing grace of God in my life. And most of you have experienced the amazing grace of God in your life. Paul says here, he paints this wonderful picture of Jesus leaving the wealth of heaven becoming poor here on earth for our sake so that He, in His poverty, could die on the cross so that you and I, through His poverty, could experience the riches of God's grace and forgiveness. Do you, do you really get it? When you stop and think for a minute, can you grasp the immensity of God's love for you? Can you grasp the immensity of God's forgiveness of your sins? Do you get the cross? Do you understand the suffering of Jesus on that cross for your sake? And then ask, does your giving reflect your understanding? One of my, uh, one of Peg and I's favorite Christmas movies is uh, White Christmas. And I, I know that she and I will carve out some time over the next few weeks to, to watch that. Probably just be the two of us. It's not popular with the other members of our household, but Peg and I love that movie. And, uh, you know, it's, the, it's Ben Crosby and Danny Kaye, and uh, uh, the scene, the movie starts when they're war buddies, and Danny Kaye's character actually saves Ben Crosby's character's life. And so this plot that runs throughout the rest of the movie then is that Ben Crosby's character feels like he owes Danny Kaye's character. And Danny Kaye, honestly, he's quite a manipulator, isn't he? He keeps bringing that up. Remember, I saved your life. If somebody genuinely saved your life, you'd be willing to do almost anything for them, wouldn't you? 
how generous are you willing to be toward the God who has saved you from your sins? You see, giving, giving generously, keeps us focused on the grace of God in our lives. If I really understand grace, then my giving won't be a matter of cold calculation. My giving will be the result of warm gratitude towards our Heavenly Father. Listen to verse 7. Here's another lesson that Paul teaches. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul seems to say that grace is vital to your spiritual health. Paul says, I want you to keep growing. I want you to keep growing in your faith in God. I want you to keep growing in your maturity in your walk with God. I want you to keep growing in who God is. And, you know, if you were to read about these Christ followers that lived in Corinth, if you read all the way through First and Second Corinthians, you'd discover some things about these guys. You'd discover that they were incredibly talented, you discover that these people seem to be growing in their faith and their knowledge of the Bible. They were growing in how they were talking about God with other people. But Paul indicates here there is still some immaturity in them because they don't excel in giving. And you know what? Our lives can be moving in a good direction. You know, maybe you're growing in your understanding of the Bible because you're reading it more and more often. Maybe you have grown in recognizing the importance of being connected in relationships and you've gotten involved in a life group and you're you're growing in that area of your life. Or maybe you have, have grown in understanding the importance of serving others here, either here or in our community. But if we don't have this money thing headed in the right direction, there is still something that is a vital piece that is missing in our spiritual lives. And we will not be as healthy or grow like God wants us to grow until we get this part of our lives. It, giving is vital to our spiritual health. There's one more lesson. There's a couple more lessons. Look, look at verse 13. Verse 13, Paul says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Here's the picture I think Paul is pointing here because he's saying that that giving helps us to stay focused on the needs of others. And he says to these people as he writes, you give now because your giving helps other people and there may come a time when they'll give and it will help you. Our giving helps us to focus on the needs of others. I think it's impossible to truly love God And ignore the needs of our neighbor. But when money controls our lives, we have this tendency to become so self-consumed that we just totally miss the needs of people around us. But giving tends to have a way, generous giving, tends to have a way of helping us to focus on the needs of others. Now there's one more lesson, I think, that's inherent in everything that Paul writes here. And that is that giving says Jesus is enough. Giving says that Jesus is enough. Now I want you to think for a moment 
about that statement. Jesus is enough. That's a challenging statement, isn't it? Is Jesus enough? Because here's our tendency, the way we generally think. We want Jesus and something else. We want Jesus and comfort in life. We want Jesus and nice things. We want Jesus and a good family. We want Jesus and fun vacations. We want Jesus and you fill in the blank for you. But the Bible teaches that Jesus ought to be enough for us. Is that true for you? Is Jesus enough? Now here's the really cool thing. The Bible says and teaches that we actually get to have Jesus and a lot of other things. But the principle that's driven home in the Bible is that God wants us in our hearts to get to the place where we could be content with just Jesus. And as long as money controls us, we're not very likely to get there. But giving helps us to live in that place in our hearts where Jesus is enough. Now, I want you to do something with me and you just got to play along with me, okay? So take out your wallets, ladies. Get in your purses and grab your wallets. Everybody play along. It's not painful. I'm not going to ask you to actually you know, give the money. I, I want you to take out your largest bill. For me, that's a $20 bill. For you, it might be a 50 or a 100. If it is, I like to talk to you. No, I'm just kidding. Take it out. Some of you are thinking, I don't have any money. Oh, well, you're really hurting. Yeah, sorry about that. That's good. That's really sort of my money, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody with me? Got your money out? I want you to crumple it up. All right, just crumple it up. Really small. In fact, why don't you just put it down on the floor and just stomp on it a little? Seriously. Go ahead. Then you can pick it up and you can keep it. Some guys suggested I ought to tell you that just leave them there. We'll pick them up later, but I'm not going to do that. You can pick it up you can keep it. Now, that's a silly exercise, isn't it? Really silly. But here's what I want you to remember. When you think back on doing that for a moment, and maybe you didn't do it, but you watched others do it. When you think back that he actually took a couple of minutes and wasted our time doing that. No, here's what I want you to think. You can control your money. Money does not have to control you. You can control your money. And controlling your money starts with giving generously. So my challenge for you is that all of us, if you're not already, you need to start by giving a tithe when you regularly worship and let it grow from there. Give generously. And as you do, you will begin to move towards becoming the me that I want to be. You will move towards becoming the me that God created all of us to be. Let's pray together. God, um, thank You. Thank You for this journey we've been on these last few weeks. Trying to discover the me that You created us to be. God, I'm pretty confident that deep within inside of all of us, there is this longing to be the kind of me that we've talked about. So God, would You help us to become that? God, would You 
Help us to grow our heart for people around the world who are struggling and hurting. Grow our hearts, God, for our neighbor next door. God, would You grow our heart and our capacity to want to serve other people, to take up our role in the body of Christ. And God, would You grow our hearts towards letting go of control of our money, letting You have control. God, would You allow us to be, would You help us to be people who are marked by generosity. God, take these areas, whatever it is for each of us that is our part of this that we struggle with, and change us, God. Transform us. Make us, God, into the the people that You created us to be. God, as we grow towards becoming the me that we all want to be, the me You created us to be, we know that You'll get all the glory and all the honor, and God, we want that to happen. We want You to be glorified through our lives. God, do it. Change us. Grow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.